Welcome to the Immigration Hour. It's great to be with you today. This is your host, Charles Cook of Cook Baxter Immigration. It's, um, I'll be talking today about Senate Bill 386. Senate 386 has engendered a lot of, uh, uh, let's call it heated debate on the internet, um, to interweb thingy, especially on the, the Twitter machine, uh, about uh, what this bill really does. Uh, and its overall effects, uh, as well as its intent. Uh, and so I, I, we're going to spend some time talking about that today. And I, I think it's important really to get a deep understanding of where this bill came from, uh, its history, uh, what it's, uh, where it's going, uh, only because uh, it looks like it probably will pass the Senate. And once it passes the Senate, it will go to a conference committee with... Um, with the House bill, with its companion House bill, and then from there um, will land on the president's desk. Now, I, I, I'm going to imagine uh, that the president is um, only, uh, that the president's probably going to sign 1080, uh, this bill, companion bill 1080, H.R. 1044, probably going to sign this bill because the Senate wouldn't be voting on it, per Mitch McConnell, if the president wasn't willing to sign it. So I think it's really important for us to get an idea of what this is, because there have been no hearings uh, on this bill, um, you know, so there, there's no way for the public, short of doing what we're going to do now, which is uh, go and take a deep dive uh, uh, on the actual language of the bill. The bill itself is not long. It's actually really quite short. Uh, the language of the bill is probably maybe... 400 words, 500 words at the most. It's not a big deal as far as it's concerned. But let's take a look at 36. This was first introduced by Mike Lee out of Utah. Mike is acting on behalf of uh, the folks in the Silicon Slopes whom I respect and work with um, and uh, is joined with uh, a lot of folks from a uh, uh, diverse background, from Kristen Cinema to Susan Collins to Tom Cotton, uh, Tammy Baldwin, um, because I th I, these folks were probably told, you know, the initial focus of this bill is to equalize, to equalize uh, the visa system. It's not inherently fair, is the claim. It's not inherently fair because the people that uh, are that were first in line to get their green cards through the employment-based categories are not getting them. And people are, quote, cutting in line in front of them. Now, that's, that's, and, and that just seems unfair, doesn't it, when you say it like that? Oh, my, it sounds unfair. Uh, some have claimed that it's nationality discrimination, uh, that this is happening, as if the law that we've lived with uh, under Section 202 of the Immigration Nationality Act uh, has not been around since 1965. Uh, so what, what this bill really is trying to do is to deal with the rapid increase of immigrants from two countries, more particularly one country, um, over the last decade, about 15 years, where large numbers of people from one country have come in the United States because of their skill set, let's be clear, skill set they're offering the United States. They have all gone through a process where they have their employers have shown there's no qualified, willing, and able U.S. workers. Um, and we need them. I mean, we need them here. Uh, yet they cannot take that final step because of several different provisions in the law. 
Now, what are the provisions in the law that are causing these folks to be waiting for, for a very long time? And some people have suggested it's 150 years. It's not 150 years, obviously. We'll get into that a little bit later in the program. Uh, but it is, it's, it's a long time. And one of the consequences of this long waiting period is that some of their children may, in fact, age out. That is, uh, they may turn 21, um, uh, even under the Child uh, Status Protection Act, uh, before uh, mom and dad can get green cards. So let now, you know, let's keep in mind, that's been an issue forever. So let's look at the issues that we currently have with our employment-based immigration system, particularly under the EB-2, which is the master's degree or um, uh, uh, um, uh, national interest waiver kind of ex- exceptional ability standard, or under our skilled worker or professional category, that is a bachelor's degrees or anybody with skilled uh, employment, which could, of course, can be, you know, cooks and uh, especially cooks and mechanics, as well as people with bachelor's degrees and such experience. Um, so first is our general immigration law that says there are only 40,000 immigrant visas available in each of the uh, top three employment-based categories, but particularly with EB2 and EB3. One. Two, there is a longstanding policy, although not the law, policy that those 40,000 people uh, are not all employees of companies. In fact, in that 40,000, we have counted their spouses and minor children, children under the age of 21. So if the, the CIS tells us that the average family size is three, so if we just divide 40,000 by three, we're left with around, what, um, 16,000-ish uh, actual employment-based immigrants each year. That means 16,000 people, which would include the software programmer or the specialty cook uh, or the robotics engineer uh, or the uh, individual in the unskilled category uh, that is working in your yard. Um, so. We include their family size. So if you've got eight, you're treated the same way as if you have one. Uh, I would argue that that is inappropriate, uh, that Congress uh, clearly authorized the sponsorship of employees at the 40,000 level, of the people at the 40,000, not their families, and families should be taken out. That's not dealt with in Senate Bill 386. Two... The, ne- the next was that the first issue is the sheer numbers are not reflective of our economy and were last adjusted 30 years ago. So that, that those need to be fixed. This bill does not fix that. Second is we're counting spouses and children, which is not reflected in the law, but which is in a policy interpretation, uh, which the government is unwilling to change. So therefore, that's problem number two. That's not fixed in this bill either. Uh, the third issue here is that In 1965, when Congress established a more modern version of our immigration system, taking off some problems in the 1952 Act, um, now our current immigration law is based on the Immigration Act 1952, uh, vetoed by Truman. One of the reasons he vetoed the bill was because he felt that it did not, it did that it did not reward. Uh, our allies from the war, and that it uh, simply took uh, the numbers of people who could immigrate each year based upon the 1920 census 
and the percentage of nationalities in that census. So Italians would get lots of numbers. Uh, Irish would get lots of numbers. Uh, Germans would get lots of numbers. Uh, but we wouldn't necessarily get any numbers from Asia or, or China. And so it was, it, was, it, was, it was discriminatory, which is why Trump, maybe Truman vetoed it, but Congress would be. But they fixed that issue, in their opinion, in 1965, when they established the per-country levels for family and employment-sponsored immigration. Um, let, and let's take a look at that. Uh, and that you'll find in Section 202 of the Immigration and Nationality Act, um, where it said that uh, no country essentially receives uh, more than 7% of the overall total of the available immigrant visa categories in any, uh, uh, in any particular process. Uh, this is found under the heading of numerical limitation to any single foreign state. The intent of this particular section of the law passed in 1965 was to make sure that there was a diversity or, a, or, or even, even a better way of putting this, that every country and people from every country had an opportunity to immigrate to the United States should they meet the criteria that were established in both the family categories and the employment categories. Uh, this was done so that we could, one, really make America the shining city on the hill. If you wanted to come, our law said you could come, whereas the prior laws said you could not. I mean, you could not come. If you didn't have anybody here in America in 1920, then nobody from your country was coming. It was really quite simple. That was discriminatory. This was, this was meant to be completely non-discriminatory so that any country could come. Uh, this is what uh, this particular provision is what this bill purports to, f to quote, fix, but it fixes it uh, in ways that have a detrimental and a deleterious effect on smaller countries and those that have not had waiting lines. So let's take a kind of a, a step back in time and uh, take a look at where these numbers were being used um, uh, back in, uh, uh, let's say, 1999. Uh, the visa bulletin from September 1999 um, says that in the employment-based uh, second preference category, um, there were no waiting lines for anybody other than what we call other workers. Other workers are unskilled, uh, let's call them housekeepers, let's call them nannies, let's call them, I'm not calling them unskilled, but the government calls them unskilled. Um, uh, yard, people work in the yard, I mean, that, it's basically unskilled labor. Uh, that category had a waiting line. But 20 years ago, nobody else had a waiting line to immigrate to the United States. Uh, and that was in September 1999. Uh, and uh, if we actually take a step back from there uh, and look at uh, January 99, uh, there were waiting lines for both India and China, uh, which dated back about two to three years uh, for India and China. Other workers were, were about a seven-year backlog, uh, but India and China were two- and three-year backlog, respectively. If we go back even further in time, uh, and, you know, we look at, uh, let's say, 1992. Now, our modern 
visa preference system began uh, in uh, uh, 1990 with the passage of the Immigration Act of 1990, and then we kind of revamped how our system worked. Um, and if we go in and take a look at uh, that January visa bulletin, uh, what we would see, and it's very interesting to look at the numbers shortly after uh, the numbers occurred. They were very much smaller. Uh, India had a second preference waiting category. They were, were master's degree holders. And that category is about a two-year wait. The Philippines, however, had a waiting line at that time of five years. So the Philippines had a very long waiting category. And everybody else was current. Now, if we go to, um, let's take a step forward in time, and let's look at the visa bulletin in November of 2005. In November of 2005, uh, the uh, EB2 and EB3 categories uh, were um, backlogged uh, for China and India. So this is, this is the preference category from November 25. India had a second preference category of about six years, weight category. China had about a five-year. Uh, in the third preference category, the whole world had a, uh, about a five-year wait. Uh, China had about a five-year wait. India had about a seven-year wait. So these, these, these waiting times are not new today. They have been around for a very long time, uh, and people have been waiting on them for a very long time. Uh, and so when people got into the system from China, India, Mexico, the Philippines, which have historically been the, the backlogged categories, they knew there was a waiting line. And uh, as, they, as they move forward in time, as, they, as the visa bulletin uh, went forward, we had one massive surge uh, in August of uh, 2007 because of what we call the, I don't want to call it the visa debacle, um, <laughs> when everybody became current in, in June. And then, and then all of a sudden, everything became unavailable across the whole wide world. So there were no visas available for anyone, period, end of story. Uh, we move fast forward to, uh, um, uh, to a couple of years later, and we look at 2009, so now going back two years, uh, going forward two years. Let's look at August 2009. And we're looking at visa bulletin and employment base where third preference is unavailable for the whole wide world. Uh, and India and China have about a six-year backlog. So as of 2009. Uh, every, second preference is current for everybody else. But again, people getting in line, uh, knowing that there's a line, there's knowing there's a process. Uh, this bill purports to fix it. Say, we just don't have enough visas available for India and China, which by chance happen to be the two largest uh, countries by population anywhere in the world. When Congress made the decision in 1965, India and China were the two uh, largest countries in the world. And that hadn't changed from 1965. Uh, but they decided that we should numerically limit any single foreign state so that no single foreign state would be able to overwhelm the system and send as many people as they want to the United States. Um, you know, it's funny, we get accused all the time as immigration lawyers of being open borders. Uh, we're open borders people. Um, immigration lawyers are the least open borders people that I know uh, because we understand that, there's, that Congress has clearly declared that there is a, a limit on the number of people coming every year. Um, and there's various, I think, good reasons for that. Um, one is absorption. One is process. 
Uh, and uh, uh, one is to ensure that we maintain uh, the, the diversity of, of, of people that has long made us a strong country. We're not a colony of any other country anymore. Um, you know, we don't just have Brits living here. We don't just have China or Indians living here. We have people from all over the world. So this, this numerical limitation on a single foreign state is designed to make sure that everybody's got an equal chance to come in and known to everybody for at least 20 years that there are waiting lines to get done. Well, unfortunately, uh, because of the big influx in 2000, in, I'm going to have to Y2K, uh, when we were desperately searching for qualified software folks. And India was smartly educating its people uh, and in areas that would service the economy of the 21st century. And American employers began using the H-1B system in, in record numbers starting in about 1997, uh, such that there was a larger number of people from India and a, less, a little bit lesser but somewhat larger number from China coming into the United States. Now, you have to understand that China is uh, numbers tended to be backlogged because of an offset from the Chinese Student Protection Act of 1992. This is when, after Tiananmen Square, President Bush, number one, said, oh, you get to stay here and we're going to give you green cards. Uh, we don't want you going back to that horrible country. But we offset those green cards against China numbers going forward in perpetuity um, rather than just giving them all green cards and not worrying about the numbers. Uh, and so they've been, they've been kind of at a you know, at a standstill because of those numbers. Uh, so it's really important to understand kind of what these numbers look like. And that, that was kind of the history of what, what Senate Bill uh, 386 is trying to fix in immigration law, what they're trying to fix. Now, right now, uh, Section 202 of the Immigration Nationality Act, you'll find it at 8 U.S.C. 1152, says... Per country level, non-discrimination, no person shall receive any preference or priority or be discriminated against in the issuance of an immigrant visa because of the person's race, sex, nationality, place of birth, or place of residence. Nothing in this paragraph shall be construed to limit the authority of the Secretary of State to determine the processing of immigrant visas or applications where they will be processed. So the, the Congress has said... This is a non-discrimination program, period. Two, per country levels for family and employment-based immigrants. Subject to paragraphs three and four, five, the total number of immigrant visas made available to natives of any single foreign state or dependent area under this title in any fiscal year may not exceed 7% um, of the total number of such visas available made available under such subsections in that fiscal year. What basically that means no country gets more than 7%. Now, three, the exception. If because of the application of paragraph two, with respect to one or more foreign states or dependent areas, the total number of visas available for calendar quarter exceeds the number of qualified applicants, uh, the visas shall not be made available for the remainder of such calendar quarter. Okay, so if you use them, you get the numbers for the year divided in quarters. You can't use them. If you use them all for that quarter, you have to wait till the next quarter to see if numbers become available. Four, uh, they have special rules for spouses and children from residence. We're going to set that aside, uh, and we're going to go to five. Rules for employment-based immigrants. If the total number, and this, by the way, was added uh, to make sure after IRA-IRA, 
to make sure there weren't unused numbers, because at one time there was literally a couple hundred thousand unused numbers. So this changed, if I'm not mistaken, sometime, I want to say, in 2000 and... 2001, 2002, um, I, think it was, I think it was 2000, October 7, 2000, says this, if the total number of visas available under paragraphs 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, the five employment-based categories for a calendar quarter, exceeds the numbers of qualified immigrants who might otherwise be issued as visas, the visas made available under that paragraph shall be issued without regard to the numerical limitation on the subject and the remainder of the calendar quarter. In the case of a foreign state to which subsection... E applies. Uh, the total number of visas issued under that category exceeds the maximum number that may be available in that century. Because it's with a paragraph, all visas shall be need to be required for class of all aliens in this paragraph. So basically, what they're saying is there's a flow through. So going back to E, this is section E. If it is determined that the total number of immigrant visas available under A and B, the seven percent, will exceed the numerical limitation in any fiscal year and determine the allotment of immigrant visa numbers. The visa numbers with respect to that state shall be allocated in a manner so that one, the ratio of visa numbers made available to the visa numbers available under one section is equal to the ratio of worldwide levels of immigration. Two, the proportion of visa numbers made available under the paragraphs is equal to the ratio of numbers available with respect to paragraphs made available under this section and other section. And what this means is this. You can get more than your 7% so long as that number is in proportion to the overall numbers that are available. Now, this is this particular section of the law, I believe, is only truly understood by one man, and that's Charlie Oppenheim at the Department of State. Many have tried to understand this, but let's take a step back and give the simplified version of this law. No country gets more than 7%. One. What if, they, what if other countries don't use their 7%? Well, they don't use them. Then those numbers become available in proportion or in ratio of the worldwide levels of immigration under this title. So you get um, your proportion of numbers uh, that are equal to your overall worldwide levels of immigration. Um, and this is where Section 1151 comes in, or Section 201 of the Immigration and Nationality Act, which is the sheer numbering of the process. Um, so what this bill does, what does S-86 do in the, uh, in the context of this law? Where is, um, uh, where is the process? Uh, wh what does it mean uh, that, uh, uh, that somebody is now going to be backlogged? Well, let's take a look at this. So section, uh, Senate Bill 386 says this, amending section uh, 1152A2. Now, if you recall, 1152A2 says, subject to the paragraphs 3, 4, and 5, which we already went through, the exceptions, the total number of available is 7%. So this changes the 7% and says this. Now it says, so to the paragraph 3, 4, the total number of immigrant visas made available to, any, to natives of any single foreign state may not exceed 15% of the total number of visas available under such section in that fiscal year. So it doubles the number of visas available. It then makes a couple of conforming amendments and then says this. So it goes from 7 to 15. So now you can use up to 15%. So if 7% of 16,000 is, let's say, 1,200, okay, um, 
because that's, let's say, 16,000 number of actual workers that are going to immigrate. 7% is 1,200, which is a very small number. Uh, now you get 2,500. That's your base, 2,500, two. Now, special rules. They add this, and this is a new uh, amendment. Um, so we're striking the E section, which we talked about. The E section is special rules for country to the ceiling. That, that gobbledygook is gone. And it's replaced by this. Much simpler, but much more devastating to people aren't from certain countries. If the total number of immigrant visas made available under the section to natives of a single foreign state will exceed the numerical limitation in any fiscal year, which is 15%, immigrant visas shall be allotted to such natives to the extent practicable and otherwise consistent in a manner so that except as provided in A4, the proportions of visas made available under the paragraph four is equal to the ratio of total visas made available under the respective paragraph to the total visas made available under 203. I bet you <clears throat> that not a single United States senator knows what that means. I bet you that they do not know what that means. Okay? Um, Here's what it actually means, that basically one country can use virtually all the numbers in any given year, period, end of story. It becomes a first in, first out, uh, and when we talk here in a second about the overall numbers of people we're talking about, you can see where the concern about 736 comes in. Now, another portion of, uh, of the Senate bill um, that is, uh, it talks about here is for the Chinese nationals, the country offset. Section 2 of the Chinese Status Protect Student Protection Act of 1992 is amended um, by striking, uh, it, in subsection A, by striking as defined in E and striking D. And what, what does that mean? So you have to go to that act. You go to A. Um, and this is where... Um, the, 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 the provisions of the Chinese Status Protection Act, which themselves are uh, uh, difficult to understand, um, and it are important. So you take, it says strike subsection D. D is the attorney general may not adjust the status of permanent residents on a conditional basis um, uh, as real of the non-immigrant. So that, that's gone. So the, this is the uh, alien admitted for permanent residence on a conditional basis. Uh, that's literally a change uh, where uh, people uh, that got a K visa, uh, a, a, which is a, a fiancé-based visa, um, and they came on a K, but they, they didn't marry that person. Currently, they have, to, they have to leave the country if they didn't marry that person. Uh, that's this law. They're striking that from the law. That's gone. I don't have objection to that. I think that's, frankly, a good idea. Um, but that's gone. Um, but... And that's the country-specific offset. Bam, it's gone. Uh, now, the thing is, the effective date for these rules is this year. It's September 30th. Um, so anybody who's in process is screwed. Now, let's look at the transition. So if you haven't filed uh, your labor certification, I mean, presumably if you have filed it, you, have, you don't have an I-140 approved, uh, it's effective. You, you're, you're screwed. It's retroactive. So even if you've got an I-140 that just got approved and you're from Mexico and you could apply for a green card today, October 1, you wouldn't be able to apply for a green card because the dates would be automatically backlogged for decades. 
And here's why. They're transition rules. So, one, um, notwithstanding the law, the following rules shall apply. For fiscal year 2020, 15% of immigrant visas made available under Section 2 and 3 of 203B shall be allotted to immigrants who are natives of a foreign state that is not one of the two states with the largest aggregate numbers of natives. So basically, going from uh, what is now 86% uh, of available visas, you go down to 15% of available visas for the whole world, for the whole world. Fiscal year 2021, 10% go to the rest of the world, and 90% go to uh, uh, India and China. And then finally, under fiscal year 2022, 10% immigrant available shall be allotted to immigrants. Over, 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 that is not one of the, again, 2022 is like 2021. Um, um, and then per country levels is the next thing to talk about here. The number of visas reserved under paragraphs A and C above, made available in a single state, may not exceed 25% of the total number of such visas, of reserved visas, but not more than 85% shall be available in any single year. So basically, 85% of the available numbers can go to India and China. Uh, and when they say reserve, they're talking about special set-asides. Special rule to prevent unused visas. If we respect the fiscal years 2021 and 2022, uh, to prevent immigrants from being available, such as may be issued for the remainder of such fiscal year without regard to these numbers. So basically, hey, if we're not going to use them, you'll get them, which is basically the current law now. All right. Uh, now, here's the final thing that, that, that folks say, well, this will help people. Notwithstanding all this stuff, um, visas shall be allocated such that no alien in subparagraph B, okay, that's the uh, worldwide numbers, receives a late visa later than the alien otherwise would have received said visa had this not been enacted. Unclear how they're actually going to do this and what an approved beneficiary is. An alien in this paragraph is the only beneficiary petition for an immigrant visa. So you have to have an I-140 approved by September 30th. If you're in the middle of a labor cert, you're screwed. You're absolutely screwed. Um, and so what this bill essentially does is reorder legal immigration such that two countries receive all the benefit. And what do I keep saying for the next decade? This is where you have to go and look at your available visa numbers. This is where it's really, really important uh, to, look, to, to actually understand uh, how it is uh, that the numbers currently exist and have been used. Now, let's take a step back. For the last 10 years, looking at the numbers, with the per-country claps in place, with the caps in place, over the last 10 years, Indian nationals have received 280,000 523 employment-based green cards. I mean, these are numbers that are available to anybody. They're online. You can just, you got to just do the math in the statistical uh, books published by the USCIS and Department of State. That means on any given year, instead of 1,200, Indian nationals have received, on average, 28,000. Chinese nationals have had 130,000 of the last decade, so they have received 13,000 on average. South Koreans, who don't have a backlog, have received... They will, anyway, South Korea will automatically, is going to get really screwed by this legislation. They have received 115,000 green cards a year over 10 years, so about 11,000, far more than they're allotted. Uh, and uh, in Philippines, Filipinos have received 84,000. Now, I have, a, I have a paralegal that works for me that we're doing his green card, and he would immediately be screwed by this. He'd immediately 
be stuck. Not even though right now he's a, he's months from getting his green card, he would immediately be backlogged. Um, now some would argue, well, the, the saving provision helps him. Maybe, maybe not. We'll see. We'll see what actually happened with that. So that's the numbers uh, as part of this process. Those numbers have actually been there. So how many immigrant visas are there actually out there? What are the overall numbers of visas that are, uh, that are currently pending uh, in each of these particular categories? Um, and uh, that, that's where it becomes really quite interesting uh, as part of this process. Uh, what, what do these numbers actually mean uh, for people waiting in line today? Uh, where are the actual numbers of this process? Um, if you look at the forecasts for the use of numbers, from 2023 through 2029, basically uh, only India gets green cards. And for the, from 2020 through 2022, they're going to get about 90, 85 to 90% of all the green cards. Um, and it's... Uh, uh, and why is that? Well, that's because of the number of Indian nationals uh, currently in the line, in the line that everybody from India and China knew existed when they filed. Now, I, I'm not saying it's fair. I think the numbers uh, should, in fact, um, be, uh, be increased in each of these categories so, such that any waiting line is minimal. Because if you've already established there's no qualified U.S. workers for the job, um, then... Um, uh, then we need to understand uh, that they should get green cards. I mean, we already said there's no labor market. So let's look at this. Um, if we look at the numbers, as of 2018, there were 632,000 Indian immigrants and their spouses and minor children waiting for green cards. In the EB2 category, there was 433,000. 433,000. Uh, in the EB2 category, there are 115,000. Uh, for Indian nationals. And keep in mind, these, anybody in EB2 can drop down to EB3, so you have to look at these numbers together because EB2 automatically includes EB3s because you can say, well, my, I'm going to do a new labor cert. I can get my new job. I have a master's degree, so I can get a bachelor's degree job. So, and, that, that is, and that's because family members are uh, you know, about, you know, about three to one, uh, uh, two, more, two additional ones. There's 260,000, and overall, um, these numbers will serve if we're, gonna, if we're talking about 600,000 people and there's 40,000 a year, all you got to do is do the math. They're the only ones who will immigrate over the next decade. And is, some will say, well, that's not fair. They have to wait. I understand. It's not fair. But it's not fair in the context of knowing that the process was actually in process. I knew what the waiting time was. I knew how long this process was. I understood going into it. Maybe I didn't fully comprehend that it was nightmarishly long, but I kind of bought into this idea that I could do that. And employers, U.S. employers, said, we'll be happy to keep you. I mean, I understand how hard it is for employers. they got to do H-1Bs every single year, um, which is an awful process under the Trump administration. Uh, People are, are, are mistreated in their jobs, thinking they can't leave. Because if they leave, they won't be able to, they'll, they'll maybe lose their place in line and have to leave the country. Uh, they've established lives here. I get all that. But so have the people. And again, for 20 years, everybody from India and China knew this. 20 years. This is not new. 
the fix is to increase the numbers or perhaps even give India and China their own special allotment. It's not to take numbers from the rest of the world, meaning that nobody from Peru, Mexico, uh, the Congo, South Africa, uh, England, um, uh, Singapore, Australia, will be able to immigrate through an employment-based visa for the next decade. That is clearly not what we envisioned as part of this process and clearly not what the law currently says. Well, some will say the law needs to change. Well, maybe, but I don't think the law should change to prejudice people from every other country in the world to benefit only two. Um, we need to go about having a real comprehensive change where we increase our numbers in a way that they reflect our economic needs so that in times of economic uh, uh, problems, our numbers go down. And in times of economic prosperity, our numbers go up to meet demand. We, our immigration service uh, system serves no one if it's not serving the U.S. economy and American families. Uh, and that's what it needs to be doing. All right, so there you go. That's my rant on S80, S386, which I'm sure will bring me uh, uh, lots of uh, diatribes from people um, and lots of hate mail, although um, I noticed that... Uh, a lot of people support the position, too. Uh, the sad part is we're having to rely on Senator Perdue, uh, um, who is a nativist. I mean, he's introduced the most anti-immigration piece of legislation we've seen in Congress in quite some time. Uh, and he's the one that's basically stopped this from going forward. You know, interesting bedfellows is all I could say. I don't support uh, Perdue's bills. I, I think he's not a good senator. I'm a Georgian. Uh, I'm certainly not voting for him, but I, I am grateful that... You know, whatever his reasons for opposing this, uh, that they align up with our need to have hearings on this bill. Now, let's have a hearing. You think you can't amend a unanimous consent motion? Let's have a hearing. Let's amend the bill. Let's fix these problems so that everybody isn't harmed and people from India and China can get this bill and get their benefits from it. You know, we made a mistake 23 years ago in IRA IRA when there was a bad bill on the floor. And uh, business coalitions said, hey, let's get the bad, Im positive immigration stuff, and we'll, we'll fix 96, we'll fix IRA IRA, we'll fix all these terrible uh, detention and removal and deportation processes later. Fix 96, remember that, everybody? Fix 96? 23 years later, we ain't fixed 96, and millions of people's lives have been destroyed as a result. Let's not make the same mistake today. We don't settle for half of it. Let's get all of it. It's been great being with you. Thanks for listening this week. This is your host, Chuck Cook. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to put them in wherever the blog you're listening to this on. Uh, or you can reach me at my Twitter handle at C-K-U-C-K. Um, and uh, if you ever answer any questions, you can also catch me on Facebook uh, because I'm absolutely there. Till next week, this is your host, Chuck Cook of the Immigration Hour.